We recorded this episode on St. Patrick's Day of 2020 with Andrew Mock, who is waiting on his daughter to be born any minute now. In our conversation, Andrew tells us how he feels about becoming a father during a pandemic. We also talk about his football career that was cut short in college thanks to concussions, his lifelong love of hunting, and how both have shaped him into who he is. He also shares the story of a near-death experience in a job interview, so stick around. Here's the conversation. So today is St. Patrick's Day, and for reference, uh, it seems like everything's going crazy. Everyone's quarantining themselves. The the market is going down. And Andrew, you're about to have a baby, right? Yes. Yes. Like imminent. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? So we're exactly two weeks out from uh, her due date. That being said, I'm like 90% confident this baby's going to come before then. Probably. So it's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stress going on with everything, right? So you have uh, a potential recession getting ready to happen, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe we're already. In I'm not it. an economist, but I think we're already in one. Yeah, maybe we're in it. I'm not, I don't know who also says like recession started today, right? Um, so you have the recession, as you mentioned before. We also have uh, a quarantining going on. And that's weird. I've never experienced anything. Last time this happened, well, it arguably never happened, right? Because the technology we have combined with COVID-19 is first time in human history it's happened. The last time a pandemic happened like this, arguably, was the Spanish flu back in 1918. Yeah. Even I wasn't alive back then. Even you? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so you have those two things, which I think most uh, Americans are probably stressed about those two things. And then on top of that, my wife is uh, extremely pregnant. She's norm. No, she's anxious and yeah. stressed, and probably not happy with being eight and a half months pregnant. Yeah. No, no. And uh, her biggest concern right now is uh, if I get sick. So the hospitals aren't allowing outside visitors to come visit us mm. when when she goes into labor or after labor. And so if I get sick, I get quarantined. I can't. She'll basically be giving birth by herself. Wow, weird, right? Yeah. So, you, do you have a name for the uh, young baby that's we coming? We do. Are you telling anybody? Yeah, we started telling people. Uh, her name will be Caroline Quinn Mock. I like that. Yeah. So Caroline is a family name on my side. Uh, my, I think, great grandmother, my aunt, and a cousin are all named Caroline, um, and Quinn comes from her side of the family her grandfather's name is quinto so he's like full-on italian he oh yeah he is which is also weird because he doesn't have a middle name which i didn't know that existed do you know in the u.s military if you fill out a form with uh no middle name you put n m n that's how that works no middle name yeah huh n m n yeah yeah so he, his name's quinto and uh so we're going with quinn for for short no i like it so i like that she'll go by quinn as well okay so i'm hoping to to adopt the the name Q for her. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to avoid Quinny the Pooh. <laughs> oh, you've thought through this. Oh, you, yeah. you were yeah, several yeah. steps ahead. Yeah, she wanted to go with Quinn on the first name, and I, I fought that for that specific reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, I can get Q to stick. Q might be a good name for just dad to call daughter. Probably. Yeah. It'd be cool if she's like freakishly good at sports. And she just goes by Q. Just by Mock. Q. Yeah. yeah. Or just Q. Yeah. Like the one letter superstar. Yeah. 
Yeah. I can see like the Nike shoes now with just like the Nike cues. The Nike cues. <laughs> <laughs> Will you be horribly disappointed if she doesn't play sports? Um, part of me will probably be a little upset. Yeah. Uh, just because sports was so so big for me growing up and, and still is. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to. My wife won't let me either uh, force it upon her. So yeah, it's a good approach. Mm. So encourage but not force. Yes. Yeah. Ask them if they want to want to try it. If no, then ask them a second time. Yeah. <laughs> wait it. Wait a couple months. Ask again. Right. So exactly. <laughs> what sports were you into when you were growing up? Uh, so yeah. So growing up, um, was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Never, never lived outside of Richmond my entire life. Uh, except it, except for a little time in Farmville. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, sure. You still consider that Central Virginia? <laughs> um, I think I was home more or so often during college that, oh. yeah, uh, we'll get into that as well. But Yeah, I bet that'll be news to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I lived in Richmond my whole life, and uh, football is my, my favorite sport, but I want to say I started playing like Little League soccer and basketball before third grade third grade i started playing football but i think as soon as like kindergarten i was playing some type of sport every single year at least um and then started uh so football's big on my dad's side of the family my dad played football in college uh and i just grew up watching football with my dad and older brother so that being said in third grade i i had high expectations for for the sport and uh they did not fall short on those expectations um played from third grade all the way up to freshman year in college where it was unfortunately cut short oh no yeah so uh in college it was also an interesting time to compare what it was back then to what it is today so in college uh my my football career got cut short due to too many concussions um which sucks but i'm glad I, i stopped playing it's probably football. a good idea yeah. who yeah. uh was it a doctor that said you got to stop yeah so uh as I, I was getting the more concussions you get the easier it is to get get them you're again. more susceptible yeah. yeah and so by my freshman year in college i think i'd gotten three concussions in the last year year and a half um and, wow. you could, and it was starting to started to have some impacts on me like I was getting migraines all the time uh I would forget things extremely easily uh and so I was meeting with a neurologist pretty regularly with the the migraines and they were basically like I'm not going to tell you to stop but I'm definitely going to recommend that uh you no longer play contact sports and so the college football that I was playing was very small level as a division three school so I didn't have uh high hopes of, of playing in the pros. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so when a doctor tells you that, you, you listen. And so... And how, how did, it get, did it get better after that? Yeah. Yeah. It got worse before it got better. Um, uh, one story I'll tell is uh, it was... Uh, I was sitting in my dorm room freshman year and I was looking at my computer and I, I'd lost track of time and I looked at the clock and it said it was 1130. I was like, oh no, I, I've got class. I'm going to be late to class. So grab, grab my book bag, uh, run out of my dorm, run to the classroom. And I was standing outside the building. And I remember like before I walked into the building, I was looking, I was like, wait a second, this is the 
building I have science in. And uh, I was like, I have science class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What's today? And I, I looked, and it was a Sunday. No. Wow. Yeah. So th- things like that would happen pretty regularly. Uh, would forget, like, uh, this happens still kind of not as frequent, but I'd get in my car to go somewhere. In about five minutes of driving, I'd be like, where, where am I supposed to be? That's scary, man. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was. This was probably a month or so after playing football, so that confirmed any doubt that I had. Yeah, you were done. Yeah, and so it was. Uh, so that was happening, uh, and then I was getting migraines pretty regularly. My second semester in college, they were so bad that I got to only take three classes. Mm. My second semester in college, which in the moment I was like, "This is pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was still considered a full time student. Um, so, but, you know, as, as the concussion stopped, the symptoms slowly went away. Are they entirely gone? Mm, probably not. Maybe. It's hard to tell, yeah. right? Because other things can impact. Yeah. I, uh, I think I've developed certain, uh, what's the word? Not techniques, but I've, I've developed. Coping, coping mechanisms kind of thing. Or like habits to make sure I don't forget things as, as easily. Yeah. So, like I'm either writing something down or sending myself a text message to remember mm-hmm. uh, or setting things like that. Or like whenever I get in my truck, I always make it a point to be like, where are you going? Yeah. Uh, wow. So, but uh, for the most part, I think symptoms are gone. So, but back then in high school, if you got a concussion, they basically would tell you what was the doctor saying. And every doctor I ever saw in high school would say, you know, no, no contact sports for a week, and if symptoms are gone in seven days, then you're, you're cleared. And so it was always one week off and went back to playing sports. Now what I think they're doing, at least in certain counties, they're keeping a log your whole high school career of every concussion you get. I think once you get up to three, they, they don't let you play anymore. For the season or forever? I don't know. Yeah. So I'll give you a comparison to back when I was in the day because I played through high school I had two significant concussions that I know of, and the first one I had, um, I, the the audience that's listening, some of you know that I'm not a small person, but back in high school, I was a lot smaller. You had seven feet, 300 pounds. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and, and, and Andrews, have we mentioned that Andrew's uh, one of our pod- coach, a, uh, podcast coaches? We have not. That's an important yeah. fact. He, yeah. he is uh, an equal coach to our other coach. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So... I'm playing uh, free safety. Little running back comes around the uh, on a sweep, and he's he's literally like eight inches shorter than me. But I I was known for getting low, even though I was a tall guy. And the guy got under me and put it, the crown of his helmet under my chin, it, and it I did knock me out. But I don't remember the next like hour and a half. Right. And uh, this is kind of a funny story. The concussion's not funny, but the what happened later was. So apparently I stayed on the field. We had, we started taking uh, we were filming the games, and apparently I I ran out to the middle of the field and just stood there. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't move, just stood there. And the third play, this tight end runs towards me. He catches the ball right in front of me. I'm not moving, but then I just throw my arms around him like a bear hug, but not trying to tackle him <laughs> like like I was saying hi to a friend or something. Anyway, the coaches realized I had a problem. They put me on the bench. The next the, my first memory is halftime and because the play happened, like the third play of the game, I'm crying like I don't know where I am, what's going on, why am I here. 
the guy who played the same position as that I did, he goes, Hey man, do you remember what you did right after that hit? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? He goes, you stood on their sideline and you were cheering for their team. And I'm like, what? I was, why would I do that? Like, I guess they hit you really hard and you just started acting stupid. The tape tape confirmed. I didn't actually do that. But anyway, so this is 19, this is mid eighties. There's a doctor for the other school there. And he says at halftime to me, uh, did you, have you vomited? I'm like, no. Do you feel nauseous? Eh, a little bit. And he ba- he didn't say these words, but he basically said, "Go rub some dirt on it." Oh yeah. And I didn't play the rest of the game. They knew not to put me back in. Back in the '50s, '60s, they probably put put kids back in. They at least knew not to put me back in. My head hurt really badly the entire next week. I told my coaches, "I'm like, look, my head is killing me. Are you sure I should? I don't think I should play." Well, we think you're okay. You should play. I'm like, my head's really killing me. I decided not to play. First time in my life I'd, I'd not played a sport or a game. And I felt really, really guilty because those around me were making me feel guilty about it. And yeah. looking back at it, it was the worst thing in the world. I absolutely should have taken tons of time away from the sport. No, it's uh, <clears throat> I've got a similar story. Not I was never cheering on the other sidelines. <laughs> the other side, to be clear. <laughs> sure. Uh the one of the first ones that I got that I I knew it was confirmed concussion. Uh, we were at a uh, at collegiate playing a, a lacrosse game and got a concussion. And the the trainer, you know, when you get a concussion, it, it's almost the same thing. They'll they'll ask you, "Do you feel sick? Do you, have you thrown up? Do you feel sick?" Uh, and then they always give you like they'll say, "What's today's date? What'd you have for breakfast?" Mm-hmm. And then they'll give you three words to remember. So it'll be three random words. It'll be like chair, TV, 13. And I'm going to come back to you in 20 minutes. I'm going to ask you what those three words are. You can do it with us. Daniel will probably pass. I probably won't. Yeah, I'd definitely forget it. <laughs> but <laughs> Daniel will have to ask the two of us. Then. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, the whole time, all I kind of remember from it was I couldn't stop laughing while this trainer is asking me all these questions. Like, and I was trying, I remember I was trying to hide the laughter. And and I was, the game went on. I didn't remember the words. I, d- I didn't go back in. The next day, talking about it with uh, my buddy. And I was like, I don't know why, but I, c- I couldn't stop laughing while the trainer was asking me questions. And he was like, oh, I was standing behind her mouthing you the answers. And so she was like, what's today? And I would look at him and he'd be like, it's, you know, Tuesday, March 17th. And I'd say Tuesday, March 17th. She's like, okay, you're fine. No way. Yeah. And I was just laughing so hard because he's standing behind her. Right. And there's yeah. no way you should get away with that. Right? No, yeah. absolutely not. So, but yeah, it's, uh, it was weird. Like, so like I said, I started playing football in third grade. It was like, I think September when I got my last one in college and decided not to play. And so like, that was my first fall in like 11, 12 years of not having a sport. Yeah, it's weird, right? And so I was still part of the team. You know, I went to practice, I stood on the sideline for games and went to all the meetings. But then when football season ended, I was like, oh, crap, what do, what do people do in the fall? Hmm. Uh, and I realized that a lot of people drink. <laughs> uh, so I, I did get to experience the other side, of, like the tailgating experience of everything. So hmm. uh, it wasn't all bad, but... It's a lot easier tailgating, for yes. sure. Yeah, yeah less stressful. Uh, there's no practice for tailgating. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's always a win. Yeah. So, 
but it it was uh it was an adjustment the the biggest adjust, adjustment i think i ne- had to do was i was still eating like i was going to practice into mm. the weight room every single day uh so i remember shortly after uh one of my good friends was like yeah damn mock like you put on some weight and i was like well screw you man and he's like i'd want someone to tell me if i had put on some weight and i, I was like thinking back and i was like yeah i haven't been to the gym having uh stopped eating uh yeah i think i have put on some weight Mm -hmm. so uh i still regularly go to the gym i think that's like the closest thing i can get to to football nowadays is like the whole training aspect of it so i still make it a point to go to the gym thankfully uh and you wake up every morning and go before work yes i do every Um, morning seven days a week no i'll go five days a week it's still Um, a pretty big commitment yeah yeah monday through friday i'll uh I set my alarm for four, but I usually don't get up till about four thirty, four forty-five. Because you're um, slacking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's not uh, uh, if it. It's not really by choice. The fact that I go so early, I don't want people to think like you should wake up at four every morning go to the gym. Um, it's more so my wife wouldn't let me go to the gym in oh, the evenings. So you're stuck doing it yeah. super early. So it's the only yeah. time mm-hmm. I can go. Yeah. But it works out, and there's fewer people there, which is always better. Yeah. So. Do you want to uh, stay with the football concept and get away from CT? I'd love to come back to CT and talk about – well, actually, I'll ask you the question now. Sure. Uh, let's say Q uh, really wants to play football. It's not typical that young girls play football, but let's say Q's just all about it. Sure. What are you, what are you telling her when she's eight years old in third grade? It, so today I would say yeah, let's go for it. Um, I think – and I think this also speaks true for, like, NFL players. Like, I can't understand why, like, you see some of these lawsuit cases coming out. Um, I think it's a known risk. Like, you're going to get hurt playing a, a physical contact sport. I'd just be smart about it. Like, yeah. she gets a concussion, I'll, I'll trust the doctor's advice on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't have any – And it, I, I think – I honestly think I'm the minority in this opinion, but, like, I think getting a concussion in part of that is part of the game. And if you don't want that risk, don't play it. Yeah. So. Well, so eight-year-old daughter or, or son, right? they don't know enough. They don't understand CTA, CTA. They don't understand the long-term effects. And even if they did intellectually, they, they're just their brains aren't mature enough to fully appreciate yeah. what they're being told. Do you, as the parent, say no? Or do you let them, let them go? So the scenario is my child gets a concussion playing football and they want to the same season want to come back and play right or they want to come back and you know it's way too early yeah i'm probably holding them back a little bit longer um just because of the immediate effects of everything that can happen and then like more so long-term effects so scary and i'll and i'll remind her that when i forget her name (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, I know you're my kid. I just yeah. don't remember your day. Yeah. yeah. And you brought up CTE. Um, that's like, that's what happens later on. In it's life, basically right? plaque building up in the brain that prevents the brain from functioning normally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's very interesting now because like there's been no studies on it up until the last five yeah. or seven years. Yep. Um, so it's, uh, it, and also I don't think they can actually test the brain until that person's, past there's no way to do it that mankind yeah. knows of yeah 
And so you see, like, uh, I think it was Junior Seau. Oh, my gosh. Committed suicide. Tr- uh, tried twice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he, I guess, beforehand had donated his his body to science to, to study. Because he knew something was wrong. Yeah. And so that he, he was confirmed with CT. And I don't know if you guys have seen it uh, with the documentary on Aaron Hernandez. The three-parter? Yeah. I saw it. And they do a side-by-side of, like, here's what a normal brain looks like, and here's what Aaron Hernandez's brain looked like. And it, even not being a doctor, you can look at that and be like, yeah, one, that those don't look similar. There's There appears to be severe problems or damage yeah. on one image, yeah, for sure. And yeah. when was this guy playing, the one that committed suicide? Uh, Junior Seau? Yeah. He probably started playing in the 90s? Yeah, I would say 90s. Yeah. He His end of career was... He played for the Patriots yeah. at the end of his career. Hmm. Since you're you're almost a Patriots fan, Daniel. almost, yeah, almost, yeah. Uh, so does all the concussion business change the? Because I know you have a lot of love for the sport. Yeah. I can tell. Does does the CTE and the concussion stuff um, change the way you feel about it at all? I don't. I don't think so. I I, I think as, as studies come out, I, I think that's a good thing. Like I, I think the more you know is better. But I also think like make these these claims obvious to the players and be upfront about it. And, you know, and so as a player, you can then make this choice of, is this worth it to me or not? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it, it's interesting. Uh, some of these guys in the NFL, like this is their only option, right? They went to college on a full ride, went to maybe one class. The and entire the, well, time and they're, there. they're elite athletes, right? Yeah. And so what else are you going to do? But the thing you're really, really good at. Exactly. That happens to pay really well. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so it's, uh, I think one perspective can say like, Hey, it's, they're not making the right decisions cause they don't know the right decision. So my counter to that would, would be bring all the studies you have up front and be very transparent with the athlete. And if they want to keep playing, that's their own decision. Yeah. So I, I consider myself a fairly intelligent person. I, I have other options in life other than playing football, but if I was that good and could have made that kind of money. I'm pretty sure I would have done that. Oh, yeah. And I'm a guy with options. Well, yeah, and, and as I mentioned before, when I was playing in college, again, it was Division three football. So, like, I already knew going into it, I'm not going to the NFL. Uh, but I always think, like, if I was playing Division one football and thought I had a, a legit path to the NFL, I probably would have kept playing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting topic, right? Like, you mm. can – and you see – I think you're starting to see – the, the tip of the iceberg now with a lot of these guys in the NFL are retiring super early. Yeah. And it, it's because like their body can't keep up with it, whether that's concussions or, or just the, the daily wear and tear on your body. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that. Yeah. Keekly, Andrew yeah. Luck. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, uh, which is a good thing because they're, they're smart enough to yeah. make a decision on their own. They want to enjoy the rest of their lives. Yeah. yeah. And football's a, a really fun sport to play. It's a fun sport to watch, but you got to take care of yourself. Yep. For sure. All right, so this is my awkward transition I tried to make earlier, but we're actually on the same topic. Since Andrew's a big football guy, do you have more questions for Daniel beyond concussions? Well. So you can learn the sport at a deeper level? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, since we're in this um, discussion about concussions, some positions are, or not just concussions, but like, the fact that it taxes your body and that you it, it wears you down to the point that you can't play it. Some positions are less um, 
susceptible to yeah. injury than others. And players like Tom Brady, who it announced today that he was leaving the Patriots, has been with the team for 20 years. And I think he's probably going to be okay. Uh, I don't know how many concussions he's had, but he seems fine. He seems relatively uninjured. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on like playing the game in a position where you get hurt a lot versus playing it in a position where you don't? Yeah, so <clears throat> with Tom Brady specifically, it's kind of interesting. Like what the game was 10 years ago or 20 years ago is completely different to like what it is today. Like the medical side has advanced like now, you know, if you blow your knee out, it's 10 to 12 month recovery time. But you're probably probably playing next season. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that was the case, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, like if you blew your knee out then, that was it. Or maybe it was a longer recovery time. And maybe mm-hmm. you played uh, one more time. If you blew it out a second time, you're done. Right. Where you had like Adrian Peterson who blew his knee out and he was back in like seven months or it's something. Crazy. Yeah. Which there's probably some things he's hiding about that probably (laughs) fast um yes uh so like science is is evolving with with the medical side but also like there's more and more research on like how you like treat your body through all of that so Mm -hmm. uh i think for it kind of goes back like you know what you're getting yourself into like for a running back in the nfl their career like their average career is probably five to six years if they're lucky top yeah yeah Stops, whereas like an offensive lineman, or not an offensive lineman, that's a bad example, but like a cornerback who's not having as much physical contact every single play, they're going to be able to stretch out their their career a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So, but well, well, it's weird. There are quarterback, especially in the NFL, is much more protected. For sure, there are rules that protect the quarterbacks. Every other position, you're at risk. Whether you're an alignment, offense, or defense, there's constant contact, to Andrew's point. But if you're playing other positions like safety or outside linebacker, your con- your contact is higher impact when it does happen. Oh, yeah. And so you've got this repeated thing happening for the linemen, and then skill positions, it's high impact occasionally kind of mm-hmm. thing. And you're also seeing it like <clears throat> the NFL's goal is to make as much money as possible. And so there's yep. more rules coming out every single year that are protecting like the the prize possession of every team, which is the quarterback. And so like they're they're coming out with more and more rules of like, hey, you can't you can't hit a quarterback below below the knees, I think, once he throws the ball. Uh, and so like they're trying to prolong some of these like star names like a Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. who everyone either you love him or you hate him, but you're always watching him play football. Apparently I love him. Yes. Now yeah. I think so. My phone, my phone is blowing up. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten the the official notification. So yet. Paul is a, a Buccaneers fan. Yeah, and, and it so, sounds like Tom Brady might be moving to the Buccaneers. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a Buccaneers poster on <laughs> on his wall. Uh, it's it's not something you see every day, for sure. Not in Virginia either. And I get in Virginia combination of the Buccaneers poster and a urinal in the basement. It's the only one in the state of Virginia. It's got to be. Only combo. So I'm going to get to the urinal in a second, but <laughs> I will just say. I didn't, right, I didn't know you were going. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Uh, right before we started the podcast, my phone literally blew up saying Tom Brady is is more than likely going to sign with the Buccaneers. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Which is, so you have coronavirus, maybe a recession. <laughs> my wife's due any moment now. And Tom Brady. Going to the Buccaneers. Yeah. 
No, nobody in mid-December of 2019 saw any of this coming. No, no. So, so maybe the world is coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, Tom Brady, the, the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is going to probably one of the worst three franchises in the NFL's history. So they can't get worse, which is the, the good thing. Like if they're signing Tom Brady at a, at his end of his career, they're still better than they were last year. Oh, yeah. Year. I mean, my son was telling me that uh, – and I don't know anything about social media, as Daniel's heard me say a few times. Uh, our Instagram followers will go from half a million probably to like a million and a half, two million just because of one signing yeah. of one guy. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know we had podcast coaching notes and future discussions about the urinal. I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the only thing I wanted to bring up about the urinal, if this is the good time no, let's to bring do it. it up, Absolutely. Let's do it. is you guys have brought this up in, in your podcast, like just like drops Every time. it, but like you're, you never dive into it. And so like, I had no idea, but after listening to a couple podcasts, I was like, wait, does Paul have a urinal in his house? And yeah. I was like, that. I don't know anyone who has a urinal in their house. <laughs> Dude, I tell people all the time, I've owned four houses in my life. Two of them had urinals in them. So I want to dive into that. Is, when you bought the house, were you like, let's put a urinal in it? No, I said, honey, let's build a house so I have an excuse to put a urinal in it. <laughs> okay. Just, you that's you the, were that's, the opposite. Right? That's, that's the way I remember the conversation. I told the builder, start with a urinal, build around. Did yeah. you get any weird looks when you when you oh, told? Oh, all the time. Well, from him and yeah, other people that have discovered the urinal. So is yeah. it a, is it a statement of masculinity to have the urinal? Oh wow! Now, oh, see, now okay. you're gonna, you're going to make me anti woke or something <laughs> if, I, if I say that. I didn't even think that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a statement of convenience. How about that? Oh, that's I like that. That was a safer answer for sure. That was a good answer. Yeah. Is there any additional upkeep to a urinal? That oh yeah, there's some there's some cleaning involved. That's maybe a little more frequent <laughs> than the normal toilet seat. Yeah. But you would recommend it to? Oh my gosh, yeah. If nothing else, it's something to talk about. Apparently, on the twelfth uh, episode of our podcast, or is this eleven? Every single every single yeah. one, except yeah. for like the FBI agent. Everyone? I think so. We've talked about it. Wow. Maybe not. Did you show it to Kelsey and Katie? Oh yeah, but we talked about it for yeah. sure. So yeah. Yeah, you don't even, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's going to be one of those things where like I get home tonight, my wife's going to be like, how the podcast went? I'm like, Paul has a urinal in his basement. <laughs> and we talked about it for like 30 minutes. Yeah, probably, we probably spent too much time talking about it. <laughs> I really wanted to dive into it. Yeah, but It's also like one of those things like I've never thought about having a urinal in my house. Like, Oh, that's, that's a great point. So quick backstory. I bought a house a year or two after I graduated from school and we're a buddy of my buddy of mine and I bought the house cause I couldn't afford the down payment by myself. He could go in halfway. I could go in halfway. And we looked at a couple of houses and, uh, the second one had a urinal in it. I'm like, I don't need to look at any other houses. This <laughs> is amazing. I think I would have the same. Yeah. Like and it was, it was the, that bathroom was right by my bedroom. Perfect. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was 24 years old. Like, you kidding me? So my wife and I were in a place a few years ago where we could think about building a house out in the middle of nowhere. And we decided to do it. And I'm like, can I please? I mean, I and I, sincerely, I was like, can I please have a urinal in the basement? And I think she wasn't really thinking about it. She's like, sure, whatever you just said, that's fine. That's yeah. definitely, I yeah. think, going to be like 
I want two things on my next house, a, a garage and a urinal. Yeah, you should have both. <laughs> for convenience, Daniel. Oh, yeah. For convenience. Man, I would love to have a garage. I've been in an apartment for the last four years, so. Well, it's because you live close to downtown, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just renting life, city life. Yeah. But it, I think it'd be nice to, to get a house out somewhere in the country. And I would argue most people our age want a garage not to store their car in just to have extra space to put whatever yeah like for me i'd love i want a garage for two reasons one i want uh i'd love to have like my own home gym in my garage Mm. uh and then number two my vision of this grandmaster garage would be the other side of it uh to have like a, a cooler with a sink and everything where i could go clean game oh yeah from, nice. from hunting like and, and store all of that there. Oh. oh so oh, th- this is the first holy crap this just hit me this is the first podcast episode where we have daniel the vegan and i'm not giving you crap about that i respect you for having the self-control to be a vegan <laughs> i really do i can't imagine doing it yeah um because I mean, you have to be committed you have to be all in yeah right more or less yeah i mean you have you have amazing self-discipline and not there's nothing wrong with the other side here, but Andrew's a hunter, and he actually eats what he kills. That's awesome. So, where do we we, we want to start with that I conversation? Have so many questions. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, I think you both have a bunch of questions. Yeah. This is amazing. I don't have, no. and you and you both seem to like each other, even yeah. though one's a vegan, one's a hunter. Yeah, no, I almost prefer hunters to um, people that like passively just eat whatever garbage they can get. So, so it's fast he's food. talking about me. Oh, no. you, wait, wait, you said fast food. I, I, I tried not to. Eat yeah, yeah, food. or even yeah. I mean, just not knowing where the meat comes from or what, right. what yeah, I think that like hunting, I, I just respect that more, you yeah, know, so, killing your own. And, and I think as uh for someone who, again, not to talk about my, like, I don't, I want to come off as like pretentious, but as someone who cares about like their health mm-hmm. uh, and, and go to the gym, like I've always said, like if someone wants to lose weight, the easiest way to do that is go vegetarian. Like it's right. super healthy for you and you're going to lose weight from it. Um, so I have nothing against uh, most vegetarians. The ones who are, he's, I, let's be clear. He's vegan, vegan, which is even harder. So well, that, it's a more restricted. That just means diet. that like basically eggs, eggs, and, eggs and dairy. I also don't eat. So when yeah. did, when did that diet start? Uh, beginning of 2017, by so choice or? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I watched a documentary, and uh, what was it? Was it about the Titans? It was Were the called, Titans in it? No, <laughs> <laughs> it was called Food Choices. Um, and it was kind of a. It was like a propaganda documentary. Mm-hmm. Like they, they all, they all kind of are the diet ones. So I avoid any documentaries like that because I'm too afraid of what it's gonna tell me. Yeah, no, because it, it, you're easily influenced. <laughs> like, or, and they make them really well nowadays. So, but that, that, that's what got me to, to make, take the leap. And then once I was already doing it, once I had built the habits, it's just easy to stay in this life. Like Paul talks about me being disciplined, but I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's cause I think you, you touched on it. I think there's the, the habits of everything. So now you're not even thinking about it, but, mm-hmm. uh, I know plenty of people who have been like, you know, I'm going to go vegan or, or vegetarian and like, it's. They do it for a week or something, and then they make a mistake, and then they fall and then right they back give up. into it. So. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and I think you touched on it. One thing, um, 
especially during this time of being quarantined and, and everything, like I've had multiple people tell me like, oh, you guys are fine because I have a, a chest freezer full of meat. Right. Uh, and so like at the at if worst case scenario, we, we can't go to the grocery store or, or food runs short. I'm at least going to make it a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, due to all the, the, the meat I have. And you know how to hunt. Yes. So a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, and so so growing up for me, like, it was earlier in my life. It was like two concerns of mine. One was sports, and one was hunting. Like, if I wasn't doing one, I was doing most of the, most of my free time doing the other. Uh, so if I wasn't at a football game on a Saturday, I was in the woods either hunting or getting something ready for hunting season. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think you know hunting is you know during. October through January, you just walk into the woods with a gun and shoot the first thing that walks past you. Uh, I wish it was that simple, uh, but it's not. And uh, so, like, what I'm doing now, it, we're it's March 17th. There's nothing in hunting season right now, but I've been out into the woods almost every weekend since February, uh, getting everything ready for hunting. And so that's what I that's what I really appreciate about hunting is like it's not cut and dry. You, it, it, there's so much that goes into it, mm-hmm. uh, which makes taking an animal's life even more rewarding. Uh, so what are some of the things that you prepare for? If, if it's not open season, like, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, so uh, for for the, the listeners, uh, what I hunt mostly is waterfowl. So that would be ducks and geese. Um, if I'm not waterfowl hunting, I'm deer hunting. Uh, if I'm not deer hunting, then I'm probably turkey hunting. Um, those seasons overlap and they're also completely separate from each other. So it kind of depends on the time of the year and, and and how good whatever I'm hunting is. Um, so for like deer hunting, which requires, I would say the most prep out of all of it, you are this time of the year, I am in the woods, uh, setting out trail cameras to start figuring out how, what deer made it through last year's hunting season. Um, and as the year goes on, We'll start planting like uh, food plots for the deer. So we'll start tilling up a little small section of the property, uh, spraying it, and then planting it. Um, and as we get closer to the season, you're moving these trail cameras around, trying to pattern a deer. So if you have like a, a, a big buck you're trying t- trying to go after, you're putting these cameras out there and figuring out, hey, where is he sleeping at night? When is he getting up to go feed? And which way, how is he getting from his bedroom to his food source? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you start figuring out these deer's movements. <clears throat> and once you do that, you then go to hang your tree stand, which you're going to be sit, hiding in from the deer. Um, and so you figure out like, okay, on, on, a, on a good, good day, the wind will be blowing this way because deer can smell and see you very easily. So you got to take into so many other things in, into effect. Uh, so... Deer will, he's, I know he's sleeping somewhere over in this patch of woods and at, you know, 7.30 every single morning, I've got him on my camera walking past my camera into a food plot. So I know I got to be in this tree stand near this food plot at 7.30 and if all goes well, he'll walk out here and and present himself with an opportunity to kill him. It's a very long game, right? Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I wish it was as simple as I just described it. Because you can figure out a deer, and you're like, I know, I know where his bedroom is. I know where he goes to eat. I know how he gets there. And so, 
no brainer. He should show up this day and he doesn't. Hmm. So it's really a science to it. Deer, deer move more based off moon phases, which is interesting. I had no idea. I've lived in Virginia my whole life around hunters all the time. Never heard that. Yeah. So they will, uh, depending on even down to the point of like a moon rise, no one's ever thought of when a moon, everyone's heard of sunrise or sunset. Uh, you don't really think about a moon rise or a moon set. Um, on a full, right before a full moon, deer seem to be more active. Mm. Uh, so you, you almost plan out a moon phase. So you can even look at next year's hunting season and you can start looking at moon phases and average temperature for that time of year. And you can start figuring out, okay, this is going to be the best day for me to go deer hunting. Wow. Yeah. And so, and all of that can it be. It feels uh, strategic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and all that can be true, and then that day comes, and the wind is blowing straight from your tree stand to where he sleeps. Mm. He's going to wake up, he's going to smell you, and he's not going to go there. He's going to go somewhere different, and almost to a point where he can just go to the next property over, find a new bedroom, find a new food source, and mm. you'll never see him again. And if there were no deer, I mean, I'm sorry, if there were no hunters, the uh, deer would run amok and kill a lot of crops and all kinds of yeah. bad things, right? Yeah, so... Uh, the other part of being a hunter that is, uh, I guess, satisfying, uh, is we're actually probably the, the world's biggest conservative or conservationist. Yep. Um, the money we pay for hunting license and things of like that goes straight towards the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, which helps provide for game wardens to make sure no one's breaking the law, to funding public land, to paying for the people who you know, park rangers, things like that, um, to preserving public land for, for deer to live in. Which is obviously a win for everybody because yeah. if there's no land, then there's nothing to hunt. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I don't want to get too political, but you usually see one group of people on one side of the aisle and another group of people on the other where, like, preserving natural woods or forest or public land or things like that is you would think everybody would be in for that right Right. yeah and you're starting to see that actually i was listening to another podcast i apologize how dare you my way over here um wow would somebody (laughs) listen to us and then leave us i think we're out of time (laughs) (laughs) uh it was a hunting podcast but they were talking about how like there's uh i guess i guess a law being passed and it's everyone on both sides of the aisle are all for, and it's putting a huge chunk of money. I think it was like 900 million, uh, federal money to go or go towards preserving public land and keeping everyone happy. I, I love that. And, and what's love cool it. about it is you, you have Republicans and Democrats both backing this. Um, even had the president tweet, you know, Congress send me a bill and I'll sign it. In regards to this. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so th- that's always good, but it, it's interesting. Like, you know, a lot of people might paint me into a corner and say, oh, he's a hunter. He probably drives a big truck, which I do, uh, <laughs> but he probably doesn't care about the environment, right? right. Like mm. he probably doesn't believe in global warming or, or things like that. Um, and then you have someone who's like protect the, the forest who doesn't hunt, uh, but they're more concerned about preserving land and everything where like, that person, I would agree with ninety percent yeah. of things. Right, right. So it's uh, it's interesting. But going back to the, the hunting aspect of it, so there's all this prep into it, right? You and if you don't put in 
the hours of, of work to get everything ready, your chances of being successful are, are, are very slim. You're your, kind of wasting your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, and it, it, what I especially love about it is like everything you do for hunting will have some impact. So like if we want to break it down, so let's start with what I'm going to wear into the woods. Uh, well, deer, if you think about it, they're hunted 24, seven, 365 days a year. If it's not from a hunter, it's from a coyote or a bear or another territorial buck in the in the area who's trying to run him off or kill him to 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 get him out out of the herd. So they're they're constantly on alert. Mm. And so part of what you have to wear is like what are my surroundings? And the other part of it is now like they've developed deer hunting clothing where it's scent control because deer can smell you really well. So the fact that they're being hunted all the time, their senses are on alert. They can see and smell very well as well. They've adapted to, to that type of pressure. So you have to make sure the clothes you're wearing don't smell like your house. And they don't smell like your body odor mm. when you get into the woods that day. Even to the point where like, if you walk two miles into the woods, you might start sweating. When you start to sweat, you start to stink. Yep. And deer can smell that. Uh, so you have to take into consideration, consideration of what you're wearing. You have to take into consideration of where you're hunting. So, like, am I in a spot where a deer is going to go? Is there food? Is there a creek? Is there, or am I close to where they're sleeping? So I know they're going to be around here. Um, and then to the equipment that you're going to take the deer with, right? So if you're bow hunting, there's your bow, there's the type of arrow that you have, and there's, like, are your sights dialed in? Like, because you owe it, at least in my opinion, you owe it to the animal to make the most ethical shot on that animal like the worst feeling in the world is hitting a deer with your arrow and shooting them in the back into like their guts they'll probably survive it they're going to be in a lot of pain and they're not going to be the same after that they can get sick from it but you just hurt a deer you didn't kill it you don't have the meat you don't get to to put your hands on it and you're just staying up at night like i wonder how uncomfortable that deer is right right now so So many things go into it to where you get to the point and you actually get to harvest an animal. You, it was an ethical kill. It didn't, it ran maybe five yards and fell and and, and died. And to, okay, now I have an animal. Now I've got to clean it. I've got to get the meat off of it. Uh, And then that's kind of the reward to me is like, there's nothing better than like, I'll take, I'll take a deer that I shot and I'll turn it into my own burger meat. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you the last time I had a, a, like a beef burger just because it's, I have 50 to 70 pounds of it in my freezer and I can't justify going to a burger joint and getting a burger. Well, it's like, leaner meat too, right? It's better for you. Well, there's part, like you touched on it, that you know where it came from. I know what that deer has been eating because I've been providing the food for it. Yeah, that deer hasn't been like stuffed with um, antibiotics and supplements that you can't pronounce the name of you guys you guys have thought about this a lot more than i have (laughs) (laughs) well it's uh it's like i for like if we're going to talk about cows i don't think their body is set up to eat corn but i think Mm. most people feed their cows with corn um and i could be wrong yeah it's the most efficient i think like corn soy like it, it doesn't the amount of beef consumption in the u.s it's mathematically impossible for everybody to eat grass-fed uh, beef just because it takes more land area. So 
and we don't have enough land for that kind of stuff. Well, then, and financially, the folks that feed them corn are making more money, probably. Yeah, yeah, they can yep. get a cow up to a certain weight quicker. Yeah. So, so, do you bow hunt or uh, rifle? So, I I've got in I got into bow hunting back in college. Um, so my my dad grew up duck hunting. He always said he has no point, no interest in shooting a deer because it's like shooting a dog. Uh, huh. Yeah. So uh, he he. Why is that? Does he have a pet deer that he like? Uh, no pets or something. No. Um, I think some people might. Or back in the day, I think people viewed deer hunting as being a little bit easier. My dad prides himself on doing the harder oh, thing and gotcha. being better at it oh. about than everybody else. Makes, so it helps him get up in the morning. Yeah. Sure. So that was his, his, I don't have time to deer hunt cause I'm not going to go shoot a dog. Uh, is your dad going to listen to this podcast? I'm going to tell him about All right, it. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> He'll love it. Um, shout out to dad. Yeah. Uh, what's dad's name? Dad's name. What he goes by or is actually, uh, his legal name is Lawrence Newbill mock. I think the third, that's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes by newbie. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. So he, he seems up, like a man's man. Yeah. yeah. It went to VMI. Grew up hunting. He's a big guy, and he prides himself on being a tough big guy. I like it. Uh, I, I'll dive into him in a second. Okay. Uh, he's a character. Um. So he, but he grew up duck hunting. So I always grew up duck hunting. Uh, and. In college, I had a couple buddies who, who liked to go bow hunting, and my brother had a, had a bow that he never used, so I asked him, hey, can I use it? He's like, yeah, sure, it's in the basement. And so I took it, went bow hunting, missed, like, my first three deer with a bow. and It's I, hard. It's really yeah, hard. Yeah, I, I, I underestimated the challenge of it, and uh, I think that's what drew me into bow hunting was, like, this was, like, a whole new world for me. Um, and so since then, I, I've been bow hunting for probably the last nine years. Um, and do you only bow hunt? No. So in Virginia, bow season for deer starts in early October, which is really like the kickoff of, of hunting season in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of things in September, uh, a couple of early seasons, but like the full on hunting season for me starts in October. And so I'll bow hunt from early October to mid November. Uh, and a couple of things happen in mid November. One, uh, duck season comes in and I like duck hunting more than anything else. So I'll, I'll always choose duck hunting over that. Uh, but two in Virginia, you can legally run dogs to deer hunt. Uh, they're all over where oh, I yeah. live, man. Yeah. Um, whoa. So to explain that to you, Daniel, whoa, I think, I think like hunting dogs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's mostly beagles, uh, hounds, um, pointers, things like that, or dogs like that. Um, and basically, once that happens, you've patterned a deer all summer, all early fall, and then dogs start running, and you don't have a pattern on that deer. Mm. And these deer in Virginia are so smart, once they, they have like a biological clock. So once like that time kind of kicks around, they know like, hey, the pressure is about to kick up, and I'm about to have a dog chasing me a bunch, and they go nocturnal. So you'll never see that deer. It will sleep all day during the day. It will find the thickest worst place a person would want to walk through in the woods and they'll sleep there and the deer have just built this intelligence yeah after years of this. it's hunting pressure like they uh if they don't learn quick they they usually end up dying um so so deer will go nocturnal 
and mm. especially big deer. Like I would always say, like a deer doesn't get that big by being dumb. Mm-mm. So, uh, so it's you go from early November, you sit in a tree stand all day, you might see ten to twenty deer all day, uh, which is a really good day for me. Um, go to end of November, you sit in a tree stand all day, you're lucky to see one, just because they're they're laying low. They're not moving. They're afraid, and they're they're on high, way high alert because they're they're used to dogs chasing them. Um, wow. Yeah. And so basically, when that happens, and it's not legal in all states. In Virginia, it's kind of a hot topic. Uh, a lot of people who don't hunt want to get rid of dog hunting because, as as you pointed out, uh, people are really sick of dogs just running all over the place because it, it sometimes it's tough to get them back to the to the owner and they're not like domesticated dogs no they are dogs bred for hunting yeah and uh the owners don't care about them as much as i care about my dogs sure yeah most mm. of these dogs they they live in a kennel uh year round um they like what's fun to them is you put them in a a back of a pickup truck you go to a plot of woods and you open the gate and you just let them run free through the woods and so they'll they'll pick up on a scent of a deer they'll see a deer and they'll start barking so that's how you know dogs are running the deer uh and they'll just chase the deer and dogs don't know property lines so they'll they'll keep chasing that that deer until you can either get them to stop or they get tired or the deer gets tired and they catch up to the deer which is not good for the deer Mm. um so that happens. So get back to your question. Like I'll bow hunt October to mid November and then I'll duck hunt November through the end of January. And, uh, I just kind of painted a bad picture of, uh, running dogs for deer hunting, but I'm also of the sense that if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, and so when duck hunting gets slow, I'll go run dogs as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the hunt club that I do it with, they're, they're, they're ethical about it. Mm. Uh, they, they take care of the dogs they they have tracking collars on the dog, so if they can't get one back after a deer drive, they they can see where it is and they'll go pick it up. Um, they're very clear about this is our property. We'll do it here, but once we get over here, it's not our property. We're not hunting that property. Mm. Whereas some people will, you're not there that day. I'm gonna run my dogs through your property, and I'm gonna line your property up with other hunters to to shoot deer, mm. um, which is what I have to deal with as being a property owner. Other people running their dogs on, on my property. Um, How old will uh, Q be the first time she goes hunting? So it's interesting. Her, she's going to come about two weeks before spring turkey season. Um, <laughs> we'll get her started early. <laughs> no, nah, she'll. I, what I'm hoping is somewhere with sports, I'm going to ask her. You know what babies them. look like and what yes. they're physically capable. Yes. And they're not quiet. They're not quiet. Uh, so. Probably when she's four or five, I'll start asking her if she wants to come hunting with me. Okay. And when I say hunting with me, like, you know, deer more active first thing in the morning and the last 30 minutes of night, I might go take her deer hunting for the last 30 minutes of night. So All hopefully right. like she sees a bunch of deer and, and thinks it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I'll save the worst parts for later. Right. So she maybe, got, maybe she needs to get, get into middle school. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, but again, if she doesn't want to, uh, I'll probably still make her go at least once. Mm, nice. So do you think it's an important thing? Do you think it's good that hunting brings people outside more, especially since, yeah. you know, there's screens and technology more and more. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I'm not the best person to speak about it because when I'm in a tree stand and nothing's moving, I'm glued to my phone. 
Oh, really? Um, yeah. I even have like a charger, like a solar panel phone charger that I can I take with me so my phone doesn't die. What if you miss the deer? Yeah, it's a risk. I'll. Uh... <laughs> but but, but you don't mean just risk. You mean you've missed deer because of it. Like you, I, I, there's been numerous times I've been looking at my phone and I look up and there's a deer standing right in front of me. I'm like, how long have you been here? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, but I do think, I think for me, hunting has kind of shaped me into the person I am today. Uh, cause what it's, what I've learned more and more, and it's, it's a extremely humbling cause you can do everything right and still mess up or miss or not see anything. Uh, but B, it's given me an opportunity to go outside. Uh, and C, it's also, I, I learned quickly, like what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've tried to apply that to, to a lot of things. Like it's, with with working, it's interesting. Paul being my old boss. Uh, maybe he believes this, maybe he doesn't. But I like to think uh, hunting has made me a better employee um because i i've noticed like hey i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be in the super bowl every day right so like if i'm working on a project at work i know i'm gonna actually have to start sooner rather than later so i can actually get everything going and learn and prep everything Mm -hmm. so when i do present i'm i'm ready to go that's a great Um, lesson yeah and sports taught me the same thing like you can't skip out on practice all week and expect to win the game right it's the, the, the same concept. And I think that's why I've liked sports and hunting so much. And I, and I think I try to use that to keep me motivated at work or competitive, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, I tend to have too much of a competitive nature, according to my wife. Um, but I think it brings out the best in people. So uh, it's, uh, th- th- I owe that, I think, to hunting in sports. And now that sports is out of my life, hunting, I guess. Mm. Well, you clearly uh, enjoy hunting. Yes. Whether it's actually doing it or talking about it. Yeah. Changing topics real quickly. Absolutely. Uh, and, the, and as our one of our coaches, you know that we do this. Because you've listened to every episode at least three times, probably. Four. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you already know the question that's coming, uh, your, your choice question. About military or standard comedy. Uh, yes. I don't, I don't need to build it up any more than that. You, you know the question. And you've had plenty of time to think about it. Yeah, I even... Uh, well, for people that, that haven't might listened... Might be listening for the first time? Yeah. Okay. All right. We, we went from 17 to 19 tonight. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Yeah. My we'll mom just, and please, dad. Yeah. Right, right, sorry. The Mock family. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll break it down really quickly. So you have a choice where, you know, let's say you're 25 and you're single and you don't have any responsibility... Um, you can choose to either sign up with the military, which we're going to say is a four-year deal, uh, and that might include deploying and all the base camp, all the training, all that stuff. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. Um, or you can, uh, for every week for... Andrew's actually thinking about this right six now. Six months, you go to a comedy open mic um, with your own material, and you... Every week. And you do, a let's say, a 10-minute set every yeah, week. Perfect. So Andrew did, did apparently did not give this a ton of thought before he got here because he's really thinking about this. No, I, I heard this on a podcast. I thought about it. I got distracted, and I haven't thought about it since. Um, and, and I'm still where I was when I first thought about it. Where like that's a very good question. See, I, I like the question too. That's why we keep asking it. I guess. Um, 
I don't think Daniel likes it as much. No, I think it's good. Yeah. I, I want to get more. Uh, I, people, I like people on one side. The yeah. answers are always different, though. Even if the, the even reasons if for the answer, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd go comedy. Yes. Nice. Yes. We got another we, one. We got another one. It, primarily because the. Uh... Well, hold on, hold on a second. Tough guy football, hunter. <laughs> guy, guys around guns all the time. Yeah. yeah. I'll do comedy. Yeah, I think because failing in comedy is far less serious <laughs> than failing in the I'm, military. I'm, I'm, I'm only laughing That's because you're, you're bringing up a very good point. That is a good point. Um, but um, one thing about me that I, I really strive for is making other people laugh. Like I think with uh, our CEO of the company. Um, Best company ever. Right? Yes. That one. Yes. Uh, if you can... if someone at the very bottom level of the best company ever is conversating with the CEO and they can make them laugh. I feel like you connected with that person. Absolutely. uh, And you've impressed them enough to make them laugh. I think it's Um, true in any facet of life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I really enjoy making people laugh, but also to my first point, like if I bomb on stage, the best comics in the world have bombed on stage where like, you know, you don't have second, many second chances. Right, so you're a first guest, I think, to choose comedy, stand-up comedy. Is that mm-hmm. right? Am I the first right? non-military guest as well? Um, you're not the first non-military guest, but you're close. <laughs> you're close. So because you're the first guest that said comedy, my uh, next statement is say something funny. Um, easy. <laughs> What's that, Dad? Oh, you oh, got... oh, you're going dad jokes on <laughs> <Yep>. us. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. You've heard this one, but I don't think I'll you have. Uh, yeah, I'll pretend like I haven't. Is it, it the is it the Cole one? God. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Say it. Say it. All right. You're going to have to play into it. I'm though. playing into it. Okay. Have you heard of Murphy's Law? Yeah. Explain it to me. It's uh, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Right. Um, have you ever heard of Cole's Law? No. What's Cole's Law? It's thinly sliced cabbage. hey <laughs> Just... Fifty of those back to back, you're no problem. You're I'll get at call. least one laughter, and then Dude. then I'll play off the one laughter. Where if just one guy laughs in the crowd, I go, well, at least he found it funny, and then everybody else will yeah. laugh. Right. Dude, you're a natural. Yeah, you're, you already know all the tricks. Both of those terrify me, though. Like going on stage by yourself. Mm-hmm. Daniel's gonna do it, and I told him if he does it, I'll do it one week after him, and we'll do it for six months each. I'm, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna steal the Murphy's Law joke. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's like, I'd be so proud of that. When you, uh, when you told me that for the first time, I, I set you up so perfectly yes. for it. I remember. And you're like, wow, nobody. What's, uh, what's funny, um, a previous guest on the show, Gene, mm. uh, I'm laying in bed one night about 8.30, and I get a text from Gene, which I'm like, this can't be good if Gene's texting me at 8.30 at night. Uh, I pull up the text, and... I read, give me a good dad joke. <laughs> I was looking back on that conversation because I sent him a text and I saw it. But uh, within the minute he sent that, I said, say no more. And I sent him like four or five to the point where he's like, okay, that's enough. I got it. <laughs> so I was like, this is this is what I've been training for, this text. Did you ever ask him why I needed a dad joke? Nope. Okay. Nope, because it's, you know. so it's It's got to be yeah. used for good purposes, right? <laughs> yeah. Nothing could go wrong there. All yeah, right, so good answer. Hampton, Sydney. You spent four years in Farmville. Oh, three. Three, three and, and a half. half. Three and a half. 
There was, there was yeah. a year at another school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. School. We, we, we won't mention the name. Uh, close to where we are. Not very close. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many people are going to figure that out out of the 19 guests we have. Uh, or guests, listeners. Hmm. What was your first job after college? My first job, which was, uh, it was an awesome job. Um, I, so I, I, cause I transferred to him, Sydney, I had to st- stay an extra semester, which is why I tell everybody. Um, but I had to, they're both liberal arts colleges. And so you took very weird classes your freshman year, uh, to which no credits transferred. Um, so I basically had to redo my freshman year all over again. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I graduated in December of 2013, um, and that last semester of college, I basically spent the entire time job searching, interviewing, and everything because I was so freaked out that I wasn't going to have a job as soon as I graduated college. Uh, found a job. I worked at the Richmond Capitol uh, during session, which happened right huh. in December, right when I graduated. Um, I, it was a cool job for a couple reasons. One, uh, I got to sit on the floor for the delegates of Richmond. Uh, during session every day and listen to laws being voted on and and everything. And two, um, it was an interesting time for, I guess, Virginia history. Governor McDonald was transitioning out. Going through some stuff. Yeah. And uh, Terry McAuliffe had, had just been elected. So I, I got to sit on the floor as I watched McDonald give his farewell speech. Mm. Um, which was interesting knowing everything going into that. Right. Uh, and then like the very next day I got to watch McAuliffe come in and say, Hey guys, I'm here. Yeah. Um, it was a nonpartisan role, but we, one of the cool things we got to do was plan the inauguration for Terry McAuliffe. Uh, so I got to like pick where the Clintons were going to sit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hillary Clinton bumped into my shoulder during the inauguration. Um, which like, I didn't realize until the guy I was working with was like, do you know who just walked past you? And I was like, no, He's like Hillary Clinton. And I was like, oh, that was my moment to do a dad joke or make her laugh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, also like every week there was like, uh, the governor ha- held a party for staff, which is like an open bar, free food at the governor's mansion. Wow. So they got to drink in the governor's mansion. So it was, it was very cool, but that went from December to February. And then it ended. And, and you, like, so that um, was um, event planning and... it. So the office I was in did a lot of random things. One, all the pages there reported into my boss as well. So like we had to coordinate what the pages were doing every single day. Uh, it was also my first exposure to customer service. Mm. So if anyone had a question about a current bill getting voted on, they would get me or the other guy who was working. And they'd say, hey, what's when is this bill going to get voted on? And we'd go into the system and say, on this date. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that. And then during session, when we sat on the floor, uh, we were basically like the print room. So if a, if a delegate was going to present his bill and wanted everyone to have a copy of it on their desk, he would print it to our office. And I would have to get them, staple them, and hand them to them, mm. which was a little stressful when you have like 60 or so delegates and they're printing 60 copies of like a four page bill and you got to count one, two, three, four, staple it and give it to oh, them. Wow. One, two, three, four. And so if you didn't have that on time, it was your fault, not the printer's fault. So if the printer jammed, you were uh, freaking out. Whoa. Um, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, the state 
legislature doesn't have a good enough uh, printer to be able to do I that? I think the next year they gave everyone tablets. Ah. So they went paperless. Mm. Okay. Um, but during that time, I had a gigantic printer, and uh, that was the only way to get everyone their eyes in front of the bill. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so we did that, and yeah, and then for whatever reason, our office was in charge of planning the inauguration. Hmm. So okay, so you kind of filled in the gaps. Yeah. Um, and that la- that lasted until February. Yeah, so during the entire time, I also knew there was an end date of February. I was convinced I wanted to go like into politics or, or somewhere. I wanted to be a lobbyist, really. Oh. Uh, so I interviewed with like four different firms um, in Richmond, and you know they all had nice things to say, but they were like, go work on a campaign in D.C., uh, get some exposure there. You're not going to make any money. You're going to be living in D.C., which is overly priced, and it's going to suck. And you're going to do it for like five or six years and then come back and talk to us. I was like, I don't want to go to D.C. Yeah. And you did not sell me on that career path. <laughs> right. Um, so out of that, am I good to go into my second job? Sure. Yeah. What was my second job? I think I started, that's when I started doing estimating uh, for a construction company, which is a weird path to take from politics to estimating. Uh, it was more in the sense of like I just needed a job. Were you doing estimates for general? Work? No. So I got with an asphalt company in Richmond, which I won't name because I'm not going to say some good things about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my buddy was a project manager out in the field for the company. And he said, hey, we're hiring an estimator. I don't think that it requires any like they can show you what you need to do. Um, so I said, sure. Interviewed. And I quickly realized I was one of three people who had a college degree at that company. Uh, one was my buddy. The other was the CEO of the company and three was me. Um, I was working there and, uh, I quickly learned. So for example, he said, Hey, I need you to change the address on our website. Cause we had just moved locations. I said, okay, I, I had no idea how to do that. Uh, who can I talk to? And he says, it's simple. Just here, I'll show you. He pulls up our website on his computer. He highlights the address at the bottom of, you know, www.worstcompany.com. Highlights the address and he presses delete. And for those of you know, now it takes him back a page. (laughs) And he's like perplexed. He's like, how did did that happen? I was like, well, that's not how it works. And he's like, yes, it is. Goes back and does it a second time. At that point, I just let him run free, and I was like, I'm getting another job. <laughs> what, what day was this? Uh, this was a couple months in. Okay. Uh, I also showed him how to use Excel. So I showed him how to sum a column. Mm. Um, nice. I showed him how to do formulas in Excel, uh, which I was like, this, I don't know how they're still in business. Wow. Daniel really enjoyed your uh, website story. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's pretty funny yeah uh, and so from there uh, I got a job it was great I was supposed to go out in the field in that role like I was part time estimator then I was going to go do project management with my buddy my buddy had horror stories of being out in the field and he was like this is a terrible job I'm going to get a new job I'm looking for other jobs I was like well, in two weeks I'm supposed to be doing what you're doing so I was like I got to start looking for another job I remember it was like the day before I was supposed to go out in the field and I had interviewed with a company and I called them and I was like, I need to know right now. And they're like, okay, you got the job. 
It's like, great. And that was being a financial advisor, which I, which is again, a weird path to take from. Yeah. You were all over the place. Working for the state capital, working for an asphalt company, now being a financial advisor. Uh, I was taking the test to get my certification and they, uh, oh, this will be a good segue, uh, into my interview. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Cause you have to tell that. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was taking the test for my certification and I was, my start date was February, 2015. Um, I guess, you know, they like to bring in a class of financial advisors and I guess enough people had dropped out of this class where they said, Hey, instead of bringing one person on in February, they pushed my start date back to June of 2015. So they call me and they tell me the news. I was like, that sucks because I need a job and I can't wait till June. Um, so I started looking for another job that day. I was telling one of my best friends about this scenario I was in and he was like, well, I'll keep an eye out for other job openings and let you know that night our CEO of the best company ever. Right. Emails this. My best friend happens to be his nephew. He emails his nephew and says, Hey, we're looking to bring on our, our first employee of the company. Do you know anyone looking for a job? He was like, actually I do. Uh, so my buddy forwards me the email and I was like, great, uh, email our CEO back and say, Hey, I'm, uh, interested and I'm, I'm ready to, to interview. So him and another guy, one of the founders of the company, uh, we go out to Tzatziki's for a lunch interview. Does Daniel know this story? I do. Yeah. It's still a great I think, story. Did you hear it for the first time the other day? It was back when oh, we were still at HQ. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a great story. <laughs> when I tell it, I can't even believe it. It still happened. <laughs> so these two guys, they had founded a company, and they were interviewing you to be the first employee. The first non-founder, essentially. That is correct. Yeah. Um, Did you want me to laugh a lot when, so I could drown that out? <laughs> I'll just edit it yeah, out. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not. So they, they, uh, they say, hey, Let's meet at uh, Tzatziki's, which is a place right up the street from our office, and um, we'll have a, a lunch interview. I think this was my first lunch interview, so I'm, like, thinking about it. Like, what's the etiquette for that, right? Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to get, like, a, a euro where, like, I take a bite and a bunch of food falls out the other end while I'm trying to talk. Spaghetti's a bad idea, too. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> And I was like, well, I also don't want to be talking with my mouth full. So, like, what's something I'm not going to eat a lot of? And for those of you who don't know me, I don't like salads. Um, so I was like, well, I'll get a salad. I'll get some chicken on. So I'll pick at it. A, I'll look healthy. And B, I won't be eating a lot. So I won't be talking with my mouth full. Kind of the opposite happened. <clears throat> so th- they asked me a question. And at the time, I thought the question was, like, the most generic interview question you could ask. And it was... Are you a big picture person or or small picture person? And I'm giving a very generic interview response back of like, I think I'm a little bit of both. You're playing it safe. You're hedging your bets. Yes. Uh, When they had started the question, I took like, I think my first bite of this salad, which had some chicken in it. And was this the first question they asked? I don't think so. Okay. Um, uh, that day's a blur. I like yeah. to think of his question seven, and he was bombing the interview at that point. That's okay, the way I, I, that's, I would hope so too. I, it's kind of, it's a cooler story. <laughs> um, Let's go with that. So question seven comes in, and things aren't going well, and I'm 
I'm chewing my food <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I go to swallow the food so I can answer the question and I'm not choking, but the food starts to go down, but it like hurts, you know, like in your chest, you can kind of feel it moving. I'm like, this isn't good. So I said, excuse me, took a sip of water. It got worse. And I said, excuse me again. I went to take a, a second sip of water. And this all felt like 10 minutes, but it happened in a split second. The second sip of water touches my mouth and nothing happens. Like I try to swallow and no, nothing. Like the water's just sitting in my mouth. I'm like, this is weird. I go to exhale. That doesn't happen either. I'm like, oh, crap i'm choking um i do the international choking sign which is like hands on your chest and padding i guess and uh our ceo goes are you choking and i said i nodded my head because i couldn't talk and he just stares me square in the eyes doesn't do anything uh the other guy at that lunch jumps up and gives me the Heimlich, which turns out to be like the most effective thing you can do. Like you don't have to have much knowledge of the Heimlich maneuver to know what to do, and it works almost every time. Yeah, no, not something you should try at home. No, for sure. no, yeah. no. Uh, so two pumps to my stomach and chicken and salad come out, and uh, I have a moment of like, holy crap, what just happened? Um, one guy's laughing, the other guy's like <laughs> freaking out because he just saved my life i guess and this is during lunch so this restaurant is packed and everyone's just staring at me i was like okay where do we go from here (laughs) um uh they go do you need to go to the bathroom and splash some water on your face and i was like yeah so i go to the bathroom splash some water on my face and i like looked in the mirror i was like uh what just happened you just choked on an interview (laughs) literally and uh Puked and choked. Uh, yeah, you did both. yeah. Not only did I choke, they watched food projectile out of my mouth. Right, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so then I'm like, well, "What was the question they asked you? Big picture, little picture person?" I had time to think of a, a response, and I said, "I'll go with a little picture." I don't know. It seems like a good answer, and came up with how I was going to present it. To this day, I don't know if I'm big picture, little picture person. Um, sit down, and well, first there's like a plate of food that has half of throw up on it in front of me. And I was like, I'm going to go take this back. And I, I go to the front of the restaurant. And they're like, oh, no, no, we'll come and get your food at the end of the meal and clean up after you. I was like, no, I'm in an interview. I just choked and I spit half of my food back up. I just don't want it in front of us for the rest of the interview. And they like looked at me like I had two heads. And I said, thanks, and walked away real quick. Um, sat down. I said, so as you were saying, I think I'm a little picture person because X, Y, and Z. And kept it going. Uh, so the first thing you do after an interview is call friends and family, let them know how it went. So I called my mom, uh, and she said, how'd it go? And I said, I choked. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, my mom's being my mom, and she's like, uh, you know, don't get, don't, don't be hard on yourself. You know, not, interv- not every interview is going to go well, and, you know, just learn from it and do better next time. And I was like, nah, I almost died like 20 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I literally choked and had the Heimlich performed on me. (laughs) During the interview. Yeah. I'm a healthy 20-something and I almost (laughs) died during the interview. (laughs) And she's screaming like, what are you talking about? And all this stuff. And I was like, it's good. I think I saved it. I don't know. 
Um, called my brother, told him the same thing. He's like, well, they're never going to forget you. you at least left <laughs> yeah. an impression on yeah. him. Uh, and I got to find the, the email. I get home. I send our CEO an email just saying like, hey, thanks for the opportunity. Would love you know, to come work for a startup, all that good stuff. And I sent the, the guy who gave me the Heimlich an email and I said, um, you know, thanks for, I think the subject is thanks for saving my life. Uh, and I said, hey, I'm in debt to you. Let me work off this debt and please hire me. Um, they called me back for a second interview and I said, is there food involved? And they said, <laughs> no. And I said, okay, I'll be there. Um, and so showed up and uh, turned out they were looking for someone to say little picture in that question. They were, they were asking that specific question for a reason. And I had time to think of worked it. out. Yeah. yeah. The near death experience paid off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and here I am five years later. Yeah. Feeling uh, pretty good about yourself. Yeah. I always like question, like knowing what I know today and knowing how close I came to dying. Would I go back in time knowing I was going to choke on that interview? It's a tough it? question. I think the answer is yes, but that was like a terrifying 20 seconds. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Like he, I even remember he did like the first like Heimlich. It didn't pump, work, and nothing happened. And I like, I think I was thinking like, oh no, how much longer can I not breathe? And the second one, it just dunk, came right out. Wow. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> super scary, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and the worst part is for like the next year, anytime we got lunch together, like all eyes were on me as I would take a <laughs> bite, and I'd be like, guys, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you cut your food. <laughs> so uh, chewing your, your food well? Yes, I am. Thank you. So you brought up mom and dad briefly. Tell us about your family. Yeah. So got the best parents in the world. Nice. Yeah. Um, mom and dad could not be more polar opposite of each other. Uh, my dad, uh, his my grandfather, his dad, was uh, went to VMI, served in World War II, like a true badass. Uh, loved my grandfather and my dad grew up under him. My dad went, played football at VMI. He didn't enlist, um, but kept that same military attitude as I was growing up. Whereas my mom was like, I think a Latin major at Mary Washington, like very, I guess artsy. I don't know. She was a, a preschool teacher growing up, like the nicest lady. In She's the world. a lover. Yes. Right. Um, so growing up, I was, uh, Depending on what I was asking, I know who to ask, mm. uh, mom or dad. Um, I, I spent more time with my dad just because I grew up playing football and sports. Uh, but always, like, my mom always had my back when I got in trouble. Mom's still mom. Yeah. Man. Like, if I ever, not saying this happened, but if I ever got in trouble with the law, mom's getting called first before I called dad. I'm sure it's never happened. Mm. Never. Yeah. Never happened. Um, Just if, hypothetically. Yes. Right. And so my dad, uh, his, uh, he blew his knee out like three or four times growing up. He's had his knee replaced a couple times. He's, he's uh, unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, um, the last two or three years, he had a bad string of health issues. Uh, he, he was sick all the time, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, uh, running all these tests and still couldn't, like, pinpoint what was causing it uh almost died like i think four or five times mm. during all of this and then finally they realize he has uh i think it's called i can't i can't it's non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver 
so his liver and kidneys had basically just shut down wow. and stopped working. Um, so he had to go on a, a donor list, um, which was, you know, as your dad going on a donor list for kidneys and livers, like it's not good. Uh, he was getting like dialysis a bunch. Um, and this will all tie into today. Uh, I'm getting there. Um, so eventually he, and I get, I don't know if you guys have experience with someone being on a donor list, but you're kind of sitting around waiting for a call basically. And he'd get the call and it's, it's weird. They basically, they, they find a, a match and they say, okay, this person is, uh, an organ donor. They're getting ready to, I guess, die. So you're, you're sitting there like hoping like, Hey, I hope my dad gets a phone call today. But in the same time, you're like, that means I hope someone else dies. Right. Which is a weird thing to, to, mm. to comprehend. And then, so they'll call you and they say, Hey, we have a match. Can you be at the hospital in 45 minutes? So you have to be within an hour of a hospital. And, uh, so my dad would say yes. And they say, okay. And then the next step is the actual doctor examines the organs. And so he'll say, this is the surgeon or, uh, somebody who is an expert in organ examination. I, the surgeon gets the, the last call. So someone gets a match and they, they call my dad and they say, can you be there? And we'll say yes. And then the surgeon or doctor, whoever, I guess the surgeon, um, will then examine them and they'll say like, I'm not going to put this liver in this guy's body. Maybe the, maybe it was a match, but the guy was an alcoholic. So right. his liver and kidneys are, aren't good. Or maybe he got shot and there's a gunshot hole through it. Right. Um, so that happened like four times. Oh yeah. So like we, my dad would get a call. One time I was with my dad when my mom got the call, which was like, I think it was my dad's birthday too, mm. or it was some holiday. Uh, so you get all excited, and then 10 minutes later, they call you and they go, no, we're not going to do it. Mm. So there's a lot of ups and downs. Eventually, he uh, he got a match. It was two Thanksgivings ago. It was like the day before Thanksgiving. He got the call. So uh, we didn't get to spend Thanksgiving with my dad, but it was we were all extremely happy that right. he, he, there's a match, and he had a... Uh, he had the surgery and everything went well. My dad's such a prideful person that like recovery is on average two weeks in the hospital. And my dad will tell you this if you ever meet him. He only spent one week in the hospital. <laughs> so, um, but given all of that, so he, he had his kidneys and his liver replaced. Uh, got to go speak at MCV uh, in front of a crowd of people, which was awesome to, to see your dad do that. Um, his immune system is completely shot. Wow. So like my dad is in like complete isolation today with the coronavirus. Oh, he's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents fortunately have a, a river house, uh, near Urbana, which is literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, and my mom's not even with them. So mm. like she'll, she'll go up once a week and, and drop food off and then comes back home. Wow. So for the podcast, like I'll tell my dad, come listen to the podcast cause he's got nothing but time to kill right, <laughs> right. now. Um, so it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it's scary to think like, you know, like you're going to watch your, your parent potentially die. Um, but it's even, I guess more scary cause you have time to prepare for that. I guess it's even more scary given today's climate with like, Hey, you know, what they're saying is older people. My dad's in his sixties, I think with pre-existing conditions right like his doctor even had to like call him today and be like don't go near people yeah so that's 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 a big concern yeah but so that that's my dad's story 
my mom is just like the sweetest lady in the world. And like I said, there was potentially this one time I got in some trouble and she was my first phone call. And potentially she said, I'll tell your father and I'll call you back. Uh, within 10 seconds, my dad called me. Not happy. Uh, so. Uh, I, won't, I won't tell the whole story here because you're the guest tonight. <laughs> but I, I did the dumbest thing I'd ever done in high school. And I was told that I needed to call somebody to come get me. Law enforcement may have been involved. And I called home. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. My dad answered. And all I said was, can I talk to mom? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I uh, fortunately, potentially during that time, I had my mom's cell phone number. Yeah. So she was actually my first call once I got back to where I was supposed to be. My first, first phone call was to my brother. Yeah. I was like, come get me. <laughs> Are you going to be more like your mom or your dad for Q? I think I'm going to be more like my mom, primarily because I know my wife is going to be uh, very strict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife's an elementary school teacher, and so, like, she is, like, either you're right or you're wrong. Uh, Oh, she's black and white. Oh, yeah. Wow. Where, like, so I'm hoping to be, like, the cool dad. Yeah. (laughs) Like, very stern up front, and then when it's just me and her, I'm like, that was really dumb. Let's go get some ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. I agree. Yeah. Good times. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. And- yeah. So this has been like, I, I love podcast. So the fact that I'm on one is like, check that <laughs> off the list. Bucket list. This bucket yeah. list kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys for having me. Well, and you're now invested for us to get out to maybe triple digit.